<laughs> no, Thank no you. edit all that out. Edit all that out. No, no, I don't have anything to say. He's great. Uh, uh, I can't wait to read the next comic. Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and welcome to our email outtake episode. Our very late email and outtake episode. It was supposed to be out before the end of the year. And unless you have not been paying attention, 2019's over. So if you didn't realize that, sorry. It's 2020. Yeah, things got a little behind, but it's here now. So we have deleted scenes from episode 43 through 58. So you're going to be hearing from Brian Zeno, my brother Joe, John M. Wilson, and Murray Fox. We also have some emails from Cuddy Pinheiro and David Spothworth throughout the episode. So we're actually all caught up on emails now. And that's it. We'll have some show announcements at the end during the closing. But otherwise, let's get on with the show. Oh, and if you get a chance, I don't know if you have the channel, but I don't know if they're going to replay it or not, but we were watching something that we taped off the Smithsonian channel. Okay, I think I have that. Called Crazy Monster Frogs. Okay. It was, (laughs) we watched half of it, it isn't, there's a frog that literally gets frozen to death and then thawed. And And it lived? Yeah, and and it it lived? Every every year it does it. Wow. Like all species. But that's not the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. There's this type of frog where the male guards the eggs. You know, eggs are so, you know, like, ooh, yummy for everything. Uh-huh. It has, I don't want to say the actual word what it is because you know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to see if you can get it. The bone, it has like a special bone in its, in its fingers. And when it breaks the one bone, it releases the other one. So it comes out of its skin like a claw. To use as a oh. weapon. And then it can retract it back in and it heals up so there's no scar where it came out. So, like, snicked. It has bone claws. They call it, it bone claws. <laughs> it's the snicked frog. He's not Wolverine, isn't a Wolverine. He's a frog. He's a frog. Oh my god. There's a frog with Wolverine's powers. Uh, that is. Oh, someone someone has to tell Ryan North. That is so awesome. <laughs> wow. Well, I can't top that. But uh now I want to see that. Yeah. Frog with Wolverine powers. Yeah. Uh it, that was crazy. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what the I, I, I thought that was intense. I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. So seriously, someone needs to tell the uh, Squirrel Girl people because that is exactly the sort of thing they would have a field day with. I'm just, I know, I'm having a field day. <laughs> I know, right? 
So let's start off our emails by finishing up an email that we started a couple episodes ago. In episode 105, my brother Joe and I started reading an email from Kadi Pinheiro entitled, The Return of Yet More Lengthy Thoughts and Opinions, Ending with a Discussion on the Narrative Merits of Capes. And this came in on September 7th. We got most way through the email, but it started getting to parts that didn't have to do with the episodes Joey was on, so he decided to step out of it. So we're going to finish up the email now. You want to hear the first part? Go back to episode 105. All right, here goes. John's idea during episode 54 of Hulk leaning in and sealing the betrayal of Jesus, I mean Warlock, with a kiss, while they grab their camping thermoses at the supper is hilarious, and I'm drawing it myself because it's something the world needs. All right, Cotty, if you have drawn this, please, I would love to see it. I'm sure John would too. Please send in a scan of that if you have done it. I wonder what someone born in a bubble, never exposed to Christianity, would think of this entire story, especially the least subtle parts. The hype is very real for the next few episodes on the 70s warlock stories, but I'm also dreading their coming, as it puts a bitter end to an unfortunately cut short, magnificent, and legendary run. Yeah, Kadi, I'm not really sure what somebody not exposed to Christianity would think. I don't know, is there anyone out there listening who would fit that bill? I'm hoping you would write in and let us know then. Do the stories still work for you, if you don't know that little background bit? Do the stories work for you in a different way? Let us know. Katya and I are curious. P.S. As I was rereading my criticisms on the new Warlock design before sending the email, I started thinking about Warlock's cape, and lack thereof. The following is just my mind running wild on a piece of fabric. I missed the gloomy and ominous figure when Warlock had the cape. How he used to grab onto it, pose in a variety of different ways, and how it waved against the cosmic winds. I'll admit, I also just love to see long drapings, capes and fabric in general drawn. I think it's because of their malleability and how they bring a lot of movement and emotion to a static image. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I also think his cape has been fantastically used for characterization and just overall acting. The way he grabs onto it with a very strong grip while standing or flying in the mid-70s, showed the rage and overall emotional instability at what an insane mess his life was turning into. Issue 9's cover is a good example of this, but he does it all throughout. I saw the anger and frustration at his lot in life, not only through facial expressions and dialogue, but the way he interacted with this prop and how it swooped around him. As strange as it sounds, I definitely think that gesture enhanced the drama. I mean... Just look at the Baroque movement. Barini, Caravaggio, and the boys definitely saw the potential of drapings to maximize emotional response. Barini's blessed Ludovica Albertoni would not be nearly as awe-inspiring without them cloths. Now that I think about it, there's a lot of the Baroque in the 70s warlock with the craggy faces, exaggerated movements, the whole theatricality of it all, and also a lot of chiaroscuro sharp shadows that I'm sure make Caravaggio proud. Anyway, back to his cape. In his return during the Infinity Gauntlet conflict, you don't see the strong grip so often. He is still highly unstable. He just hides it better, trying to logically justify and rationalize his apparent detachment and dour demeanor. But strong emotions are still there, buried deep down. He just suppresses them. At least until he expels all good and evil from his body. Then some of them are gone. And you see this repression of outward feelings by the way he uses his cape. 
Compared to the 70s, you see him covering his body a lot more often here. There's this recurrent gesture where he pulls the fabric to the front, resting his arm close to his chest. This to me was a nice little visual representation of him not letting much of who he is out, not letting anyone too close. Just that simple gesture enhances your perception of his growing alienation from the rest of the universe's residents, coming off as this mysterious and even creepy figure that is difficult to get hold of, especially for the other heroes. The way the cape now drapes over him more often than not makes him look very cold and distant, which is what he believed the circumstances required at the time. A very tactical and logical mind, unhindered by the instability of sentimentality, to see through Thanos' raging, fiery desire to identify where the weak spot lied and exploit it to achieve victory. What makes me think that this treatment of his cape is not entirely unintentional is that I believe a similar thing happens in the Berserk manga. If you don't know, Berserk is highly, highly violent and graphic, so I don't know how much of it would be your guy's cup of tea, but I couldn't recommend it enough for the sheer sublime and horrifying experience that it is. The art is also godlike. Actually, I may have to take the recommendation back, as we Berserk fans are very concerned that the author will probably never finish the story. He's been going at it for 30 years, not getting any younger, and I can only imagine the weight of its highly detailed art must have in his health. Kadi, I have to wonder, then, and I feel really bad for these people, what is the Venn diagram of Berserk fans and Game of Thrones novel fans? Because I think if you're a big fan of both of those, you're probably in for a lot of disappointment in the upcoming years, because I don't think the Game of Thrones novels are going to be finished either. <laughs> anyway, she was saying, Don't quote me on this one, as I would have to peruse all my volumes and count the panels. But during the arcs where the main character is his most seemingly ruthless, cold, uncaring, and distant self, his black cape covers him almost completely, much like it does Warlock during Infinity Gauntlet. Whereas when he starts to open up more and letting people into his heart, his cape mirrors this by being mostly pulled back, which I also believe happens to Warlock more in the early 2000s trilogy with Thanos, when Adam starts to open up more to Gamora. The bottom line is this. Get out of here, Incredibles, pushing your no-capes ideology on people. Capes are awesome, if a bit impractical. Enough said, but tell me what to think on all this. Well, Kadi, you've given me a lot something to think about. I'm going to actually... I, I wasn't thinking about that when reading Warlock up until now, but going forward, it's definitely going to be in my head. I'm definitely going to be looking, to, looking at that and noticing it to see whether it's doing that or not. So, unless I completely forget about this by the time we record again, expect to start hearing this as I'm reviewing the issues. And to finish the letter off, PPS. This is the second unreasonably lengthy email I've sent, and I can't help but feel it's a chore for you to read all of this. Would you prefer if I sent smaller, bite-sized emails, each pertaining to a specific topic, instead of these huge compilation ramblings? I also don't want to spam your email account with hundreds of little comments every time something pops into my head. There's just too much to talk about. Please let me know what makes your life easier. Keep up the stellar work. Kadi. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy for any feedback, so whatever you feel like doing. You want to send me some little short emails? Great. You somebody wants to send me a really long email? Cool. I'm excited to get it either way. Enough of this carefully rehearsed ad. Living it is, uh, I'm, I must get my brain back into Captain Marvel mode. Yes. So. All right. So, yeah, we were on that page where Thanos, and we, were, we both really liked that page, I remember. 
Yes, I remember. Panels in blue, and the fact that those panels could be read. I'm trying to get back in the mindset we were in. Right, like right. I thought in any order, you can read them down, like mm-hmm. just the, the controller story or the part or the Rick Dunn part, or even across because they still work with like the Thanos word balloons. Right, exactly. I mean that's that's really damn impressive. That's using the uh, the medium. Uh, uh, my my thoughts precisely to the word. My thoughts exactly. It's it's very. Um, Boldly done, especially for the time period. I mean, this is, this is the Bronze Age truly spreading its wings and, and, and flourish and, and, and flourishing in full flower. And I'm getting very poetic here already. <laughs> well, you're fitting up the Bronze Age. I mean, you saw how some of them wrote sometimes. Well, you know, it's like, I'm never sure exactly where the Bronze Age started, but you know, you, you, like, I know, I know, this right here is a full break um, in terms of technique and, and, and visual language, if you will. This is a complete break with the, um, com- by comparison, staticness of the Silver Age. Yeah. No, yeah, the Silver Age was still, even Kirby stuff, which, you know, at least in the time period. But, right, right. No, with the exception very- of the- Daddy, has Hulk always been green? Well, no. Daddy, has Spider-Man ever been married? Well, that's quite complicated. Daddy, does Superman have a mullet? What? No, there's no... Daddy, does Howard the Duck use foil language? Okay, stop. I must have done something wrong with your education somewhere along the line, but it's time to rectify that. You mean... Don't say it! You're doing another podcast? Oh no. Podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess Podcast. An ongoing podcast to introduce and inform my children about the world of comics, science fiction and general geekery. Join me each month along with my eldest daughter, Charlotte. Where's my fiver? And my youngest, Catherine. Me! As we explore all this together. Find us at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk On Facebook at marksmesspodcast And on Twitter at marksmesspodcast without the T A new podcast On a new feed Same old Mark <sighs> Our next email comes from David Spafforth Came in on September 7th Titled Congratulations on the Centenary Hi Al Here I am, obeying orders and sending you an email. I'm two episodes away from catching up, or three if we count the Endgame episode, but I'm waiting to watch the Blu-ray before listening to the chat. Won't be long, I just watched Captain Marvel yesterday. Well, David, I'm hoping by now you had a chance to both watch Avengers Endgame and listen to our episode. Funny you should spend so much time talking about Wood God when he's going to be making an appearance in the chronologically... In the chronologically next, but one, Warlock issue. The Marvel team-up issue where they sort of, maybe, kind of, eh, fix the giant-sized Warlock problem. So basically he's referring to is, he was writing from episode 100 where we covered Warlock 13 and 14. The next appearance of Warlock was number 15, was in Warlock 15, and then after that in Marvel team-up 55, in which Wood God also appears. So it was the chronologically... The Marvel team up. So the Marvel team up issue is chron- chronologically next, except for one. Yeah, it's a little hard to write, but it's even harder to say. But I got where you're going with David. Don't worry. Yes, 
the science was crazy in those 70s issues. But in a universe where radiation gives you spider powers, sand powers, super strength, or the ability to control metal arms, rather than, say, fatal radiation poisoning, I guess anything goes. I agree, I would like to hear if Jim Starlin had plans on where he was going with the death of Warlock, if the series hadn't been cancelled. But I stick with my theory that he knew the series was going to end at some point in the not-too-distant future, and, given a bit of warning, would just have Warlock's death end the series. Probably right. I at least would be curious to see what he was planning on doing up until that point. But I guess we're going to be getting a condensed version of that in when we cover when we cover the Avengers Annual later on next year. Not much to say about the Star Thief story. I guess not every Starlin saga can be a Thanos war. But I think the basic plot was a misstep, considering we already had been told that Thanos was planning stellar genocide. It was a bit confusing to me, having the stars vanishing for two separate, unrelated reasons. That's kind of true. I mean, Star Thief is a cool name. And I did like that story. Not as much as those other ones, but it was a fun story. I enjoyed it. But yeah, coming so close to the end, it would have been better if Star Thief was something he did first before the Magus. Have a little more time between the Star Thief story and the Thanos story. I find the Friends and Enemies section more and more entertaining as we get into the period of my childhood reading. I've pretty much read all the stories you covered. Except Woodgod, of course. Did anybody? Probably not. Actually, I'm thinking about the premise behind Woodgod. I'm wondering whether his creation was an attempt to create a new Wolverine. But based on the original premise that Wolverine was not a mutant, but some form of genetically created animal-human hybrid, or some such. Claremont may have abandoned that plot development for Wolverine, but I wouldn't put it past editorial to try out the same idea elsewhere to see if it had legs. Even if it had to be goat legs. Never thought about the Wolverine connection, but... Very possible, since they weren't going to be going with that anymore. Or would they? Well, let's see. Woodgod's first appearance is Marvel Premiere 31, cover dated August of 76. I don't know, maybe. I mean, the same cover date, August 76, is when X-Men 100 came out. I'll have to go back and look into some like my X-Men companions to see if... Claremont had said at what point he gave up on that idea for Wolverine. It might be a little early for them to have given up already on the concept. But I can't say for certain. But no disrespect, please, for my beloved Invaders. It was one of my favorite series at the time. I think you did kind of sell it short. I mean, the Red Skull did only have one story in the whole run. I do get the idea that it was almost a trial run for All-Star Squadron. But after an admittedly floundering start... I think Roy did start to get it right, especially in the extended run of issues in Berlin, which even took a brief look from the viewpoint of ordinary Germans from the time. And then there was the very scary, both then and now, look at the plight of the American concentration camps for the citizens of Japanese descent. Yes, Invaders was cancelled during Marvel's 1978 implosion, but I think it was a mercy killing. Roy and Frank Robbins had been off the book for a year by then, and I don't think anybody was impressed by the Don Glutt and Alan Kupperberg team especially after they brought back the Liberty Legion for a story with the ever-amazing Thin Man. Uh, maybe I did thumb a little bit short, I'll be fair. Invaders is a blind spot for me, uh, beyond whatever I've read for the Friends and Enemies segment. I have not read any Invaders comics, except for, I think, the first two issues of uh, Invaders miniseries that came out, like, in 92, or 93, somewhere around there. My opinion may or may not change once I actually get a chance to read some Invaders. We'll see.
As to the future, glad you're going to be covering the Iron Man and Blood Brothers story, following the Thanos-related threads through different stories. Are you planning to do the same with the Galactus and Counter-Earth story from Fantastic Four? I know other podcasts cover the FF, but in my opinion, you just can't have too many golden gorillas. Cheers, David. Well, David, yes, I'm going to be covering both those stories. I am covering the Iron Man story in which he fights the Blood Brothers because it follows up on, like you said, the other Thanos-related threads. We will be covering the FF story too, but the difference is we're only covering the one issue, not the entire story. Because the difference is, in Iron Man, besides the fact that Thanos only has appearance in one or two of those issues, the whole thing follows up on the Blood Brothers and things that happened in the Captain Marvel run that we covered already. The Fantastic Four really... Well, yes, it's Counter-Earth. But beyond that, it's really only the one thing with Thanos that counts. So we're only going to be covering the one issue of Fantastic Four. But it does have a golden gorilla in it, so don't worry. Hello. Hello. Okay, looks like it's recording because it's saying, you know, numbers are going up again. All right. That's a good thing. We're in business. Now, is this your first time watching... Civil War, or did you see it already? I forget. No, it's my first time. I was shocked how quick they put it on uh, Netflix. Especially since um, Avengers 2 and Ant-Man is not up there. Yeah, you're right. That's a little annoying. I was yeah. like, damn it, I want those up there first. Well, not not me, because I've seen, seen those. So, so what I you haven't think? seen... It was really good. It was really good. It's probably just as good a... Um, as um, Winter Soldier, um, uh, yeah, it's probably just as good as that one. Maybe yeah. even better. Although, it's one thing for the public who doesn't know everything, but it's another thing when like they were like fighting amongst themselves, like before the actual fighting, when they were just arguing. And like mm-hmm. Tony Stark listened to the things that they destroyed. He's like, New York. I'm like, okay, um, if the Avengers did not do what they did in New York... It's not like nothing would have happened. The government was going to nuke New York. <laughs> I think they should take themselves out of the blame for any damage done to New York. It's like, okay, no. look, it's what we did or the new or being nuked. It, did we do what's yeah. less than being nuked? Then I don't think we went too far. I don't think we I don't think we had a problem. You know, do you want to go like a few of the other things maybe you could argue with, but some of them are like uh, that's not their fault. Like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> like, why can't somebody argue against this? Going, um, weren't they gonna, wasn't, Tony, wasn't the government gonna nuke New York? So, isn't just causing $5 million of damage and, you know, 100 lives lost better than, um, nuked? <laughs> but, to be devil's advocate, I will say this. They were fighting in, uh, in the airport, they really don't give a shit about <laughs> about how much this this stuff costs because they are just ripping stuff apart at the airport. They're like, "Oh, I should use this wing," <laughs> and oh, and you're running. All right, well, let me tear down this whole building to stop you. <laughs> but otherwise, like, I did like the movie a lot. It was really, really good, and you know what? It would kind of like I know what you mean. It, it's uh, and it could very easily explained it in a way of just saying like, "Listen, it's you know." That's, uh, it's not, it's not, um, it's, yes, if you look at it realistically, yeah, they didn't do anything wrong, but 
people in politics are trying to make a name for themselves. And so and the public only understands what, you know, the media puts out so they can easily just put it out as, oh, these people are dangerous. And it would explain it would have explained it everything, but it didn't matter too much. Yeah. No, I know. It just still was like I remember watching it in the theater and going, no, I'm like they're listing off the things I'm going. No, no. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> they're ungrateful. They're ungrateful. <laughs> Human beings. Bastards. But Black Panther was awesome. He was he great. He really was. I can't wait for his movie. Is he really um, bulletproof or did they just make that up? The like costume. His suit? The costume's been bulletproof at times, yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was it, it, it made sense. He kicked ass. Why, why wouldn't you want to be bulletproof? But I thought he was he was a he was awesome in it, so I can't wait for his movie. Yeah, Ant Man Growing was awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, Ant Man was cool. Uh, yeah. What do you think about Spidey? Spider Man was cool. You know, um, I don't know about the guy who played it. You know, it, it was not not to tell, but it was is as the. Um, the fighting scenes were awesome. Yeah. And it was, yeah, definitely good enough for, uh, I don't know how much I'll like that kid in his own movie, if he's going to be in his own movie. He is. I really liked, I really liked Toby uh, Maguire. Maguire. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hard for me to see somebody, I, I can't see that guy being better than, or, or even uh, as good no. as Tony, Tony, but uh, for, for a scene like that, for like this movie, it was great. So we'll see how it goes for the next mo- for his movie. Plus, Iron Man's going to be in his movie. Well, that's cool. So we'll see how they do that. Yeah, but the movie was really—they uh, just do such cool fight scenes. This is the same people. Uh, probably the same people that did um, that did Winter Soldier did uh, did this movie, yeah. right? Same I think so. They just I think so. The fight scenes they do are so cool. Yeah. And I liked I liked how they showed that like Spider Man was way stronger than, uh, oh, than yeah. like Captain America or uh, oh yeah because he or, is yeah he is but they even in the comics they blur that line a lot yeah and I love that when he caught the fist yeah yeah of uh, Winter Soldier yeah that <laughs> and that showed it right there because you're like because uh, Captain America couldn't do that yeah Winter Soldier yeah Winter Soldier's like. What the hell? Yeah. No, I remember a couple people who, like, because it's been blurred so much, there were a few people when the movie came out were bitching about that. And people were like, uh, no, dude, it's actually been established long ago. Spider-Man's strength is, like, ten tons. Yeah, like, he's like, really, he's, there's a big gap between, uh... Even Cap, even when Cap had the super soldier serum, like, was full-on super soldier, he was, like, maybe, a, like, a ton. You know, he could lift. Like the the way Marvel has it, like the Hulk is like at a hundred tons. Yeah. You know the thing depends on when they change things around him, but he's anywhere from like forty to seventy tons. You know, Spider Man. I mean, Spider Man's obviously a lot weaker. You know, not as strong as the thing, but still, when you're compared to like pretty much everyone that's been out there that they have on the show, I mean, in that movie at least, he's probably the strongest one out of that whole movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, the only ones I think in the in all of the movies that they show him, like the heroes that would be stronger than him, are Hulk and Thor. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, he's definitely stronger than Cap, Black Widow, Iron Man. Even with the suit, I'm sure he's stronger than Iron Man. Well, yeah, well, if, especially if you go by the, the movies and, like, you see them fighting hand-to-hand, they're kind of, like, around the Iron Man's suit yeah. has, like, about the same strength as Captain America. Yeah, maybe a little more. He, mean, he yeah. might be closer to Spidey. But, yeah, so it's like, yeah, no, um... <laughs> Yeah, people are like, no, no, you're not right. You're you're wrong to bitch. Trust me. They're like, Spidey is this strong. They just kind of you're, forget that at times. You're going by movie logic. You got to go by comic logic. Well, consider the fact that it's his first movie. <laughs> Technically. Yeah. But yeah, I need to watch but that again. They do that. I mean, I, that's why I was happy to see that because they. I, I've got frustrated with that in the comics. They've done that all the time where they make it like. All he can do is you know, he's, he's agility Dexter. and str- agility and speed, but not strength. And they're like, nope, he has strength too. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I like about those uh, the the movies, like the Cap the uh, Captain America movies, that they don't have the big guns because it's kind of cool to show the strength of like even of Captain America. Like it's you forget when he's around the Hulk, it's not impressive how strong he is. But when there's no Hulk there, it's pretty impressive when he's holding a, uh, a uh, he's stopping the helicopter from flying away. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it's it, it makes it more that that's that's more impressive to me. And then you see Spider-Man, who's even stronger than that. It's yeah. still yeah, it's really it's it was cool. That's why I think that's why I really like it. They don't need to have the big guns in those movies all the time. Like they don't they didn't need the Hulk in the and Thor. I was glad they weren't in it. Yeah. Now they're going to have both of them in the new Thor movie. Perfect. Have them fight the whole movie. Actually, based on what some things are on about it, it looks like it's going to be that planet Hulk. They're doing a lot, of, a lot of stuff from the planet Hulk thing, where he's like a gladiator on that other planet. Awesome. So, I mean, we'll I see. see that. Yeah. So, either way, I'm looking forward to the next one, but like I said... I still, you know, I gotta rewatch that one, but I still have to. I also want to rewatch Avengers two and Ant Man because I've only seen all of those once. Yeah, same here. And now we have an email from Kati Pinheiro, came in on September seventh, entitled "What? Another email already?" This one is quick and to the point, Al. I promise. It's entirely on the Doyle mini episode. Initially, I was going to put this in with the email I sent before, but it seemed inappropriate to just stick it in there while I talk nonsense about comic books. So I just made this into its own separate thing. Let me tell you what a beautiful and touching tribute to your buddy this was, with the nice little lighthearted clips of him screwing up your recordings. He was definitely more than just a dog. He was a true family member, and because of it, I thought it was very courageous of you to share this personal, heartbreaking, and emotional moment in your life with your audience, and my sincerest condolences as someone who's experienced the loss of pets before. I hope everything has been going better with you and your wife since then, And in my eyes, you are more than excused for taking time off to process everything that happened and find some peace of mind. I think including those good moments and funny antics in the episode was the best approach. They were what one should try to focus on when thinking about friends who have passed away, especially whenever melancholia stirs its ugly head. All the best to the family, and keep on always remembering the good, knowing that you enriched his life just as much as he did yours. Thank you, Kati. I appreciate that. I mean, that was my most probably self-indulgent episode, as in it had nothing to do with the premise of the show. It was just there because I wanted to do it, and I needed to do it. So didn't matter if anyone else listened, even. It was just something I had to do for me. Because of that, I really do appreciate your kind words about it. 
And yes, we are doing better with that, obviously. It's been a while. Been several months. I mean, we still miss the little guy. Probably always going to miss the little guy, but obviously not like right afterwards. We actually do have another doggy now um, named Parker. Yes, after Peter. It's my wife's idea, actually. He came to us about two months later. Um, he literally was lost and came walking up to my neighbor's house when they were having a garage sale one day. And my neighbors are... I mean, my neighbor, he would have loved to take the dog in, but him and his wife are a little busy. To be fair, they already have a dog. They have three cats. They have a fish, a big fish, one of those Oscars, big ones. They also, at the time, had three kids and were busy cooking up the fourth. Oh, and all the kids are under the age of seven and they homeschool them. So when I say they're busy, they're busy. They're damn busy. So we took the little guy in to least watch him for a week or two while we could figure out where he lived and well long story short he lives here now currently he is sleeping right to my left we took him to the dog park today and he is tuckered out <laughs> It began with the origin of his comic book fandom. This is the very first comic book I have ever read, and also ignited the spark of my comic book collecting over the course of a 1974 weekend. Professor Zoom Yukinori led an ongoing expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. Balance of Power. Have Horse. Will Fly. Solomon Grundy wins on a Monday. Superman's unbeatable rival. Green Lantern, master criminal of the 25th century. With unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts. Call me Terror Man. Solomon Grundy am co-host this time. I am Lanos, the, the lexical archive of minutia, minutia expositions, and, and origins. Goodbye, me am Bizarro. I am Libra. This is Aya from the Green Lantern. It is I, the Reverse Flash. Which had ended with the destruction of the universe. Or... Has it? Warrant underation, are we? I regret to say that you are my prisoner. Without our interspatial time conveyor, we are all essentially trapped here. Can't summon the willpower necessary for my power ring to pull me free. For nearly two decades, I had carried her ghost within my heart. Experience the wonder. Great wings of mercury! <laughs> of an all-new season. Solomon Grundy, fat little pointy-eared man before. Let us get back to the story, shall we? Down, down, and approach. Of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Allow me, Entity Terra Man. That does it. Ain't messing with no timey lines ever again. And I did. Oh, I haven't bought those yet, but I did buy Suicide Squad. If you want to watch it on Vudu, it was on sale. Awesome! Yes, I did. How was it? It was. I heard Joker wasn't in it that long. 
Not really, but he's not a main focus. He's actually, I don't know, if based on everyone bitching, I thought, like, Joker was going to be there for 30 seconds. I thought I saw more of him than I expected. But and the way everybody says it is that... Uh, I didn't expect him to be in the main character. Well, the way everybody says it is, like, he was, the way it's advertised, the way it's the trailers are, he's in half the trailer. He's in, like, he takes, it's, it's all... Oh, see, I didn't, I never had that impression from watching the trailers. Now, I got the, the, it has both versions. It has the theatrical version and, like, the extended cut. Uh-huh. I watched the theatrical because I figured I'll watch that, and then later on when I watch it again, I'll watch the extended and see if there's a difference. Yeah. But, I mean, I thought the theatrical was okay. Was it a great movie? No, but it was a pretty good movie. There were a few things I was like, huh. But the Joker stuff was okay, and it did, it told, like, a whole Joker, like, the story of Joker, like, once you get to the end, everything he does, you know, everything that happens with him, it's like, okay, at least they did that in full. I liked Harley. She was good. Yeah. Will Smith was okay. Oh, who is he? Deadshot. Who's Deadshot? He was a Batman villain. He kills people for money. I think I know him. I say okay because, you know, like when Will Smith, a lot of times he just plays the Will Smith character. Yeah. He half played the Will Smith character, I think. So it's good because he didn't just go play the Will Smith character, but he also didn't fully play Deadshot. He played Will Smith playing Deadshot, more or less. That's you know? kind of that's kinda, that is pretty weak because actually I think Will Smith is a really good really actor when he wants to be. Yeah, but a lot of times they just have him playing, and it's, it might not be him. You know, a lot of times it could just be them doing play. You know, wanting to get that same thing because everyone people like that type of character. But you know, it's exactly. like, this, like Men in Black, uh, Independence Day. Is there really a difference? No, it's the same guy. Yeah, and, and they, you're likes, right. they they say we want that guy. Yeah, everyone likes that guy. So well, he's just like, well, who did they have in the Civil War movie? They had the Community, uh, the uh, the actor who's in Community. Oh yeah, Abed. And not not Abed. Um, the uh, the the Dean. Abed's in it too. Is he? What's he? Who's he? I fr- he was like a technician or something. Well, I didn't see that, but they had. I saw they had Dean in Community. And oh, okay. He basically played. He basically played the same character because that's what everybody wants to see. Yeah. But that's the thing. So like that was like a downside for me for like that like for me was like up down for Suicide Squad because like he wasn't fully playing that character, but he still was more or less playing the you know the Will's character. So to me, that's like. Good, bad. I would have been disappointed in that. Well, I mean, I wouldn't realize because I don't know much. I don't really know anything about him, but I would be disappointed in that because he could play uh, Will Smith. I mean, like I, I don't I forget that one movie that he was in where he's like uh, he's making amends, I think, for bad things that he did. It's the movie where he gave Woody Harrelson eyes. Do you, do you know that movie? Mm, I think I think I know which one you're talking about, but I don't know the name. All right, well, that movie, he was really good in that movie. Like, he was a totally different character. He was not Will Smith at all. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so there were good things about the movie. There were bad things. It's, it's not great, great movie, but it, I don't think it, I think it was far from horrible. How is the pace compared to Batman and Superman? Because I found that to be very boring. A lot faster. A lot more stuff happens quicker. And now we have another email from Kati Benhero also on September 7th, entitled, Answering the Question from Episode 101. 
Or, yes, this is the third email one night I'm sending to make up for my absence. <laughs> and she starts with, I'm so sorry for such a late response to episode 101, Al. The truth is, I have a confession to make. The real reason I took so long to listen to episode 101 is because I suffer from Keanu Reeves' level of shame and embarrassment when the spotlight is on me, just like he does in interviews. I was in this limbo of, yay, I want to know what Al thought of the email, while also thinking, ah, no, he's reading it. The shame. Kill me now. But I finally conquered that fear and listened to the portion of the episode of you reading my email, in case you had any questions. Also, the heat is getting stupid high recently, which makes the brain cells function drop considerably, to the point of making the simple task of writing an email a living nightmare. But it's mostly the reason listed before that I took so long. That's okay, Katty, I understand. I can feel the same way, too, sometimes, so I get it. But hey, I'm glad you're listening and writing again, and hopefully you'll keep doing that. On to the answering. How is Starlin responsible for my current predicament? Which I believe was... Let's check. Oh, which is because she had said in a previous email, As someone who's only recently dived more deeply in the Marvel Universe, Mr. Jim Starlin's fault, actually. So that was the question. Here's the answer. Well, comic books have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Although at the time it was mostly European stuff, like the Franco-Belgian comics, and then later I got into manga. My dad and I would collect asterisk issues whenever we could, and it still remains one of the fondest memories from my childhood. All I knew of the superhero genre was from movies or cartoons, honestly. Yeah, kind of the funny thing is, all I know of Asterix is from a couple of the cartoons. I've actually never had a chance to read any of the comics. I'm not even sure if any of them are translated into English, so... I did like Asterix. I have to look into that. Anyway, back to Kai's email. I guess I was always intimidated by the sheer size and scope of Marvel and DC. <laughs> I had read the odd storyline here and there, but was always too afraid to really dive in. Where should I start, right? But that was all about to change when a friend of mine lent me the Infinity Gauntlet. Not a very original gateway, I know. Doesn't matter. Whatever gateway works is a good gateway. As far as I'm concerned. The grandeur and yet intimacy of the story, using the cosmic landscape as a vehicle to explore the inner workings of the psyche and soul, and of course the ending, that goddamn ending. I'm leaving at this because I could write an entire thesis on the sheer beauty and perfection of that ending. Maybe when you get to it on the show. If the ending planted the seeds of interest in Warlock, Thanos, Gamora, and Pip, it was then going back to the 70s run that cemented that love. So now I've been slowly reading about these four ever since, because they have a rel relatively small history when compared to, say, Batman or Superman. Despite my interest, I'm still too afraid to get really into those lads, at least for now. So the Starlinverse is smaller and therefore more friendly to newcomers in that sense. The fact that these characters have mostly been written by him also gives them a more consistent and clear vision on their progression. More so than the super, super popular characters who've had dozens upon dozens of different writers going at them, for better or for worse. I've also been a sucker my whole life for tragedies. The macabre, the tackling of serious subjects through absurd surrealist settings, like in Alice in Wonderland, and a profound lover of mythology, especially Greek mythology. And I've a lot of these things in the Starlin stories, with the tackling of cosmic entities, titans, and personified concepts that can be as flawed and petty as the mortals they rule over. I just groove on all those things. I can also relate to pretty much anything. So artificial, gleaming, golden man-god and purple prune-chin egomaniac from space are no trouble at all to get into. At the same time, I've been also finally reading some X-Men and Sandman, but I'm taking baby steps, as these universes are still quite overwhelming to my feeble mortal mind. 
Okay. Cool. I can really understand that, Cotty. And uh, yeah, I can agree with you. The fact that, yeah, it's a little sometimes a little easier because it's all created for the most part by one person with just a few other people here and there, at least up until recently. So for the most part, it was all Starlin for the majority of their histories. Um, and yes, I can understand the difference between them and, let's say, Superman and Batman, which has a... Or Spider-Man, where have been a lot of creators working on those characters over the years. So a lot of different takes on them. I'm just curious now, what are you reading in Sandman and X-Men? Um, I will say this, Sandman, probably a little easier to get to dive into than X-Men in the fact that there's less a, a lot less of it. I'm glad you ended up enjoying the first email, and may it be the first of many. I agree. I hope it is. Well, you've already did several, but I hope there are many more to come. All right. Ending up here. Oh yeah, I have a question, Al. I've been seeing many times these characters in Marvel refer to the sun as Sol, S-O-L. I looked it up, and it's supposed to be Latin for sun. What's funny to me is that that is also how we say sun in Portuguese. So whenever a character says it, it always puts a stupid smile on my face. Is there a reason for doing this? Is it just to sound cool? I've seen this sort of thing happen in foreign media several times, and it always provides a good laugh. A good example I can never forget was in the Bleach manga, where the author created this group of powerful villains whose names, powers, and attacks use Spanish words. I don't know why he chose to do this, but it was the best thing ever, because what might have sounded badass and cool to the Japanese ear is absolutely hilarious and ridiculous to Spanish and Portuguese speakers. Well, to me at least. It took me a while to take them seriously as threats to the heroes, and oh god was it entertaining. They were called the Espada, which means sword in both languages. Imagine seeing these anime pretty boys calling each other the sword and screaming, the swords are coming, all the time. <laughs> that also makes me think of um, Dragon Ball, where all the names are like food puns. Maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's something they do there. Maybe it's a Japanese thing. I don't know. Anyway, about the son being named Saul... I looked it up, found an answer, which I'm going to link the page to it in the show notes, in the sci-fi stackexchange.com. And someone had asked there a couple years ago, when was the sun renamed to Sol in the Star Trek universe, and why? We've been using the sun name for centuries, and I can't find any reasonable reason for naming it to Sol or anything else. So obviously this is more specific to Star Trek, but I think it goes for all science fiction media. One of the answers here, which makes sense to me, it is common in science fiction to name our sun Sol, and by the way, the Earth Terra. Sun is a general term for suns. Before space travel, sun is pretty unambiguous, because there's just the one sun. But with space travel, not so. It makes sense to give it a name and use the word sun as a generic term. So that makes sense to me. Hopefully that's a good enough answer for you. And if anyone else out there has a better answer, you write in and tell us. I read X-Force 1 this morning. I saw. It was a pretty cool comic. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's I, not horrible. No, it's not horrible, horrible. Although, if you read, there are like a, the first few pages. I think it's the first few pages. If you read the first issue of the uh, New Teen Titans Judas Contract, it's like the exact same thing. Oh, really? Like shot for shot. Oh. Well... I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so the. Um, but no, it's not a horrible. It's not. A, it wasn't a horrible series. You just kind of knew what you were getting into with that. You know, you weren't expecting there to be a long. You know, 
a really well, plot heavy, like our character heavy. The thing is, this first issue at least has some does have some cool character moments. Um, does have some nifty dialogue. Of course, that's Nisiesa. And yes. um, <clears throat> it seems that for a lot of it, Liefeld is paying some pretty heavy attention to his proportions and actually getting those looking relatively normal. Hmm. Through it's a lot so long of since I read that. Yeah. Um, his very first New Mutants issues had mostly decent proportions. It wasn't long before he started getting lazy about that and making people's legs impossibly long. But um, but this issue yeah. is better about that. Um, I mean, there's still some weird anatomy here and there. In fact, I'm looking at a page of Feral right now where her thigh is half again as long as her calf. But um, but for the most part, <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, it looks pretty good. And... Um, and yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't horrible. Most of that stuff for him anyway happened usually after Marvel, or towards the end, which I think has to do probably with the fact of being young, not fully, you know, I mean, like George Perez didn't look like George Perez 100% when he first started, but I think editors easing up on them to the point of just letting them do whatever they want and then them leaving and never having editors. Right. Basically, it's like, he, this is yeah. good. Do I think this is good? I think it's good. Then this is good. He is definitely one of those who needs some oversight. Yeah. Yeah, I think if he if he if that image the image didn't happen or if he didn't join it and he stayed with Marvel longer, where maybe they decided to crack down a bit more on them, might have there might be a bit you know bit of a different perspective of him now. It's time to cover the feedback, and this time we are talking about feedback from episode one hundred and seven, part two of our comic book ages episodes. In that one, we covered the Silver and Bronze Age on Facebook. The post about that episode was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Paul Spataro, Michael Lane, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Pat Sampson, Gene Hendricks, Tim Price, Mike Peacock, Caleb Alexander McKenzie, Jesse Starcher, and Hal Jordan. Also, Paul commented on it saying he was looking forward to this. Well, Paul, I hope it lived up for you. On Twitter, the post about the episode was liked and retweeted by EMP plus EMX, Gina, Warlord Worlds, Last Sons of Krypton, Connor McKenna, Marvel Comics UK, Jason Snick Venable, W. Blaine Dowler, Into the Night, Nexus of All, Viet Huynh, Toys and Jokes, I Am Your Target Demographic, Ghostwriter Podcast, At Robopulp, Long Box of Darkness, Isolated Tops, Comics in the Golden Age, Conan Comics by Crom. Dinosaur Dell, Dr. Wolfman, Sentinel of Liberty Podcast, Brian Z, Longbox Review, and John M. Wilson. And we do need to thank a few more people on Tumblr who follow our page, and curse them for the fact that these Tumblr names are really not meant to be pronounced, but we are going to attempt that anyway. So thank you to Chernex Biala Morgan, Wamblog79321, Chickkun01, Spider Monkey 95, and Where the Darkness Dwells. And if you want to hear your name said like these fine folks, well, like and follow our page on Facebook. Just go to the searchy box and type in Adam Warlock or Thanos. We're pretty much the first thing that's going to pop up. Follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And, of course, our Tumblr page, ResurrectionsAdamWarlock.tumblr.com. Now, if you want to be pretty awesome, leave an iTunes review. I would love that. That'd be great. 
And if you want to be really awesome, like Cotty and David this episode, send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Our next email is from Cotty Panjero, came in on November 10th, entitled, On the Episode 105 Extravaganza. Hello again, Al. Just wanted to let you know that I really, really enjoyed listening to the whole roundtable-style discussion on Episode 105. As the filthy, casual, comic book heathen that I am, it is good to hear all of you and your guest knowledge and insight on a topic I know so little of. It's also more fun this way than to just read Wikipedia entries, as much as I enjoy falling down those rabbit holes. So just in case anyone forgot, episode 105 was part one of our talk about the different comic book ages. I said this before on my first email, but I love the whole behind-the-scenes and making-of angle on, work, on works of art. Learning about the society, events, culture, and how history in general was shaping comics. So this episode did not disappoint one bit. Well, thank you. (laughs) The whole part about the shift between work for hire and creator rights was especially interesting to me. In a way, that gradual shift from having the studio structure with ghostwriters and artists to the acknowledgement of the individuals involved, it sounded kind of like a type of renaissance was taking place in the world of comics. Just to elaborate a bit in case you don't know, Before the Italian Renaissance, it wasn't really common to have works of art signed, which makes it often hard to attribute this or that piece to a specific person living at the time, if at all. A painter or sculptor was considered a type of artisan, requested for their technical prowess and knowledge of materials. It was just another manual profession. Signing your mural painting of Judgment Day on a church wasn't really a thing because as an artisan, you also wouldn't sign a piece of furniture you made, or a shoe, or a piece of clothing. In the Renaissance, with the Medici boys, popes, and all these rich humanist patrons, you slowly start to see painters and sculptors being looked at differently and elevated to the status of artists. These guys want to show off their power and opulence, and they have the money. So now they're looking for individuals with not only technical expertise, but also a little something else. Divine inspiration, genius, call it what you will. And because now the humanist movement is all the rage, the individual is given more credit and and acknowledgement for his work. There's a bit more creative freedom and experimentation going on with artists wanting to distinguish themselves from one another. And so you now start to see this owning of one's work and mark on the world through, among other things, the now also common signatures. My art history teachers would probably murder me in my sleep for oversimplifying this. Let us hope they're not fans of comic book podcasts. Well, Caddy, I can understand what you're saying about your teachers, but to be fair... You at least got the point across, and I learned something, so I guess it worked out well enough. But it's funny how much power nowadays there is in a name, when a signature can become a sort of brand. Some could even argue that we've reached the other extreme when compared to the Middle Ages view of artists, where now there's an over-elevation and idolization of the individual, rather than that the merits of the actual work. But that's a whole nother can of worms. Anyway, it will be cool to hear more about the eternal struggle between the business and artistic side of things as you go through the comic book ages. Really looking forward to learning more from all these fine gentlemen you've gathered. Well, I hope the later episodes lived up to your expectations. I'm also curious to now go and check out that Digital Comic Museum website you mentioned and experience some of those Golden Age comics for the first time, just to see how differently they read and look at how things have changed since. I much enjoyed Brian's honesty over being able to say, Hey, Even though these stories aren't really doing it for me, I still respect them tremendously, because without them, I wouldn't have the ones I do love. Sometimes it's hard to criticize these sacred cows, especially when they have such a big impact on the art form. It reminded me of this YouTube channel I stumbled upon recently, called Peter Draws. 
particularly his series called What I Think About Art, where it's just a man giving his honest opinions on famous paintings in a very relaxed, nonchalant way, unafraid to take a few jabs at the Mona Lisa and the like without being inflammatory and without also ignoring their merits. I always get a real kick out of them. On to this next part of the email, Kadi is actually talking to Joe about some questions he had to her, so I figured it made sense if she's answering him for him to be here to hear the answers. So Joe's back for a few minutes. Hi, Joe. Just, just a minute. Maybe two. Two minutes. All right. Here we go. On Joe's question, I actually didn't know about the drug situation in Portugal. But after a quick search and talking to a few friends, you can let your brother Joe know that he was absolutely right on his second assessment. Drugs, while still illegal, have been decriminalized over here, and it's been that way ever since 2001. Apparently, the drug problem, especially with heroin, was getting really out of hand in the 80s and onward. You can find all the specific statistics and numbers online on the drop rates. But overall, it seems that what was at the time a desperate gamble to try and solve this problem proved to be a really good move over here. So now, instead of criminal penalties, you basically get a tap on the hand if you're caught in possession of drugs. Maybe pay some kind of fee, depending on the case. And there's a focus on medical counseling and therapy. Joe was also right in the fact that from an economic point of view, things also got better, as we saved a lot on resources compared to before. It's not perfect. Addiction and death by overdose are still very much alive, but it did change drastically for the better. So in response to that, Joe? Um, the main thing is, let's just remember that I was right twice. Two, I'm two, out, to of, two out of nothing. Two uh, out of, yeah. I'm right, and I'm right, and, but don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Okay. Okay. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for answering my question. I appreciate it. Don't do drugs. I'm right, and, uh, and I'm right. Again, I was right twice. All right. And there's one other part about you. Yeah. What's the other part? About his question on whether I've been to Chicago. I must say that I haven't. The entire American continent is still uncharted territory for me, but I do want to visit one day. Oh, is that because she said wicked? Did she I, say wicked? Maybe that was it. I don't remember bringing up the Chicago thing, but it, I mean, the only reason I could think if I asked if she's been to Chicago because she said wicked, because I know people from Chicago say wicked. Yeah, I thought that That's was the only people Boston. that I know that say, no, Chicago. Again, trust me. I'll be right. Pretty sure it's Chicago. I swear you're right twice, and all of a sudden you think you're evident. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Put this, put, put this show like, well, you'll delete the middle of this until I find it. But we're gonna say, people say wicked, and maybe it is Boston. It, I see one thing for Boston, but it's not really saying it. Um, it's not saying anything. But to be fair, you did travel a bit, so if you heard it in Chicago, it's possible. It's not that I heard it. I just remember knowing that, um, that like, or seeing things where they were making fun of Chicago people, and they were saying wicked a lot. Well, it might be a Chicago thing, too. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, she hasn't been there. Because in my head, I keep hearing, like, some kind of scene from Goodwill Hunting with them saying, like, Wicked Awesome or something in that Boston mm. accent. Mm, maybe. All right. Well, anyway. The important thing is you were right about the drug stuff. Yeah. 
It says it came from New England, but that's this that's not right. <laughs> that's Who's, not what I that doesn't agree with me. Yeah, that's not apparently even the internet is wrong. <laughs> Everybody's wrong but me. Let's see, wait, let me look at this. This is saying from Boston. Where did Wicked come from and who popularized it in Boston and New England? Mm, I don't know. All right, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Boston. I'm not I'm not totally agreeing with that. Maybe it is Boston and, Chico- and Chicago as well. I don't know. Anyway. Would you like me to just edit this whole part out? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. Any, anything you want to say to people before the year ends? Go Adam Warlock. Go Thanos. Go Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Thank you. Okay, Joe is gone, and now we're going to finish up the remainder of the email. Also, thanks Al for the Avengers Forever mini recommendation. I'll definitely give it a look. And just on a little side note, the inclusion of links in the episode description to specific references you and your guests make along the show is greatly appreciated as some of the references completely fly past me. I don't listen to that many podcasts, so I don't know if this is actually something pretty standard, but I've never seen something like this done before. You didn't really have to include those links, but I appreciate the extra work a lot. Thank you and everyone you've dragged into the show once again, and thank you for all the hours of entertainment. P.S. Sorry if there's any errors. No matter how many times I reread or do checks, some always manage to stay in. Well, first of all, let me know if you had a chance to read Avengers Forever and what you think. Now, of course, and I hope I would have mentioned this beforehand, it does help if you do have a knowledge of Avengers history, because it's a lot about all of that. But if you don't have that, I'm also curious what you think, how it reads for somebody who really doesn't have that knowledge. Um, and I'm glad you can click, like the links. I enjoy doing them. I think sometimes it helps just to have a little something extra there in case somebody is wants to know more about something or isn't really sure what it was we were talking about. We don't have to spend all the time explaining it. Just go to the link. Either way... It's nice to hear that they're appreciated. There's a reason I'm doing it then. And yeah, don't worry about errors. I feel the same way about any episode I've done, no matter how much time I spend editing on it. I'm sure there's plenty of things I screwed up. (laughs) Hello, welcome back to another episode of Everybody Loves Angar, the Angar the Screamer (laughs) fan podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and joining me today is Murray Fox. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Remember Murray? He was here last time we talked about Angar. Totally. Or actually, well, I mean, when we talk, let me redo that. Because <laughs> the last time we talked about Angar, we did every episode. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and the final email we're reading this episode is from David Spaforth. Came on November 16th, entitled The Bronze Age. Hi, Al. I really enjoyed listening to the flashback to the discussion on the comics ages. I just wanted to share my views on the Silver to Bronze Age transition. I know it's kind of blurry with DC, but I'm not so sure I really want to go with the debut of the O'Neill-Adams pairing, as so much of that, particularly the Green Arrow Green Lantern series, just screamed 1960s hippie to me rather than the more cynical 70s. Side note, do you really think that series was even-handed? Even when I broadly agreed with him, I couldn't stand the self-righteous Green Arrow. Anyway, as a Silver Age ending moment, I prefer the more defined moment when the door firmly slams shut on Mort Weisinger. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, I'm trying to remember. Did I say that about the Green Arrow Green Lantern series, or was that one of the other guys about it being even-handed? I don't really remember how much of that I've read, so 
I don't know how much I could have said it was even handed, unless I, I don't know. You know, when you've done a lot of podcasting episodes, there are times where you say, where you look back and go, I said that? Are you sure? Why would I say that? <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm going to blame one of the other guys. I'm going to say Blaine said it. Sorry, Blaine. I do have a firm review on the moment Marvel hit the Bronze Age. It was the month of Marvel's 10th anniversary. The issues were dated November 1971, which were all giant-sized, and had the new Gil Kane design border look on the covers. The one specific thing about the issues that month is that for the first time in a good few decades, absolutely nothing was scripted by Stan Lee. Wow, you know, that's actually a not a bad place to put the beginning of Marvel's Bronze Age. I can't really argue with that. Looking forward to hearing you finish out the Starlin Warlock run. It feels ages since the Star Thief. Cheers, David. And yes, that is coming up. We actually have some of those episodes already recorded, so don't worry. They are coming. Hey there. Do you like comic books? Do you like superhero TV and movies? Well, come on over and check out the Caves of Lunatics podcast. We have such shows as Capes and Lunatics and Super Connectivity, where we cover everything new and current and popular in the world of superheroes. And we also have episode-by-episode reviews of the Marvel Netflix shows and a monthly discussion of everything current on the DC Comics character Nightwing and a few other surprises all the time. So come join us for the Capes and Lunatics podcast. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And that concludes our email and outtake episode. Hope you enjoyed. One or two things I want to go over before the episode ends. First of all, on a sad note, um, in case you did not he- were not aware of this, podcaster Zoom Yukonori, who you were able to find on the Fire and Water Network, passed away right before the end of the year. If you don't know, Zoom did a few shows on the Fire and Water Network, most specifically the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. The promo for that was in this episode, and there is a link in the show notes. If you have not listened to this show, I highly recommend you do. It was an amazing mix of comic review, personal reflection, and his own storytelling with voices. Really, honestly, I've listened to plenty of podcasts, including plenty of comic podcasts, including doing them myself. If I was asked which one would I call art, it was Zoom's show. So I highly recommend you listen to it. My Deepest condolences go out to his family and friends. I never had a chance to record with him or talk to him, and I really wish I did, because from what everyone's saying, and also from what I could just tell from listening to him, he was one hell of a guy. One other thing, then, before we end. The show is currently going to be going on a bit of a hiatus. I've just gotten too backed up with doing stuff. I'm rushing to try and get episodes out or getting them out later than I want to. Like, for example, this was supposed to be out before the end of the year. And it's January 4th. So, we're not pod fading. Don't worry. Or, sorry. 
But no, we're not going anywhere. I already have some episodes recorded, and I'm editing them. I have other ones I've already been planning, recording sessions with people. The show will be back. I don't have an exact date yet. It's going to be a few months, but not too long. Although I do have some specials planned to come out during that time, so there isn't going to be no content until then. There will be some stuff coming up in the feed still, just not on a regular basis. But hopefully those will get me a chance to get caught up and get ahead with stuff so I can keep the show going after that without killing myself doing it. Alright, that's it. You guys take care. And Happy New Year. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. So Kim's inside watching shows on interventions in hoarders. <laughs> I see. I, I got stuck on that show for I think a year. Which one? Intervention. Yeah. Intervention. I'm interventing Intervention. You. Intervention. Intervention. You're surrounded. <laughs> You're trapped. I'm interventing you. No, I'm interventing you. Why don't we play Nightcrawlers anymore?